All right, hey, good morning, church. What an incredible time of worship. Uh, Come Thou Fount is my favorite old hymn. Uh, I actually, in my study at home, I have that line, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace that's hanging up uh, in my study at home. I love that, uh, just the time of worship this morning with y'all. My heart, uh, regardless of whether I blow it or give you something good this morning, uh, my heart needed uh, that moment of worship. So thank you all for worshiping with us today. Uh, My name is Andrew. I'm lead pastor here. So glad that you are here. Um, By the way, Andrew, for those of you that uh, are wondering, Andrew Poston, our worship leader, will be with us a couple weeks in October. So today is not the last day you'll see of him. Uh, He'll be here with us a little bit in October. He'll also be back with us around Christmas time. So just throwing that out there for you. Um, So we are in this year of discipleship, uh, week number 39, this F260 Bible reading plan. Again, I want to invite you to join us in this. If you've never uh, jumped into it with us, uh, do so immediately. All right, I want to encourage you to do that. We've got Bible reading plans over at Next Steps, uh, also friendshipwire.com slash 2022. Uh, you can also check out our Facebook and Instagram pages. We every week have our weekly reading. Uh, but we're in week number 39. We're in this series called Spirit and Truth. And what we're doing is we're in the New Testament. We're looking at the foundation and the expansion of the church. The church is, has been born and is growing, and, and we're looking at that. And one of the things that we see of the early church, when God established his church, uh, we see that they faced a ton of trials, uh, an incredible amount of difficulty and hardship. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this in your life, but isn't it true that, that most, most things that are really good that you have in your life you kind of have to fight for or you have to go through some stuff in order to experience. Very rarely are the really good things that you have in your life, do they come easily or overnight, right? And so you think about developing a skill in your life, whatever kind of skill it might be, it requires a lot of trial and error. Uh, think about a, a relationship or those of you that are marriage. A great marriage requires a little bit of, of conflict and turmoil. Sometimes a lot of conflict and turmoil, right? But if you're going to have a great marriage, a great relationship, uh, it, it doesn't come easy. Think about physically. If you're going to become healthy physically, what's the old phrase? No pain, no gain, right? It requires work. You have to endure some things. And in all of these kind of situations, when you think about the really good things in your life, it may have been hard or painful. But in the end, when you look back, you go, man, it was, it was worth it because of where I'm at. And, you know, as Jesus was building the early church, those followers of Jesus had to experience some serious hardship and trial. And yet, getting the gospel to the ends of the earth, getting the gospel to you and me was absolutely worth it. Amen? And so, you know, in life we face all kinds of stress and difficulty, what the Bible calls trials, We're not talking about like courtroom trials. We're talking about trouble. Trials literally just means trouble to to put someone or something to the test. And what we all know is that you can't escape trials. It's part of, of life. In fact, Charles Spurgeon said it this way. We must expect trial because trial is the element of faith. Faith without trial is like a diamond uncut the brilliance of which has never been seen. A fish without water or a bird without air is faith without trial. We may surely expect that our faith will be tested. 
And so today we're in James chapter one. We're going to see some instruction from James on how to deal with difficulty. So the sermon title today is Don't Quit, Stay the Course. For some of you, you you need to hear this word today. Don't quit, stay the course. Let me just take a moment. Let's pray as we open up James one this morning. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth that we can we can seek out, we can hear, we can receive, we can apply to our lives. Thank you that you haven't left us on our own to figure things out. You have given us the word of truth, this word of life. And so God, as we open your word this morning, I pray that we would do so with open hearts and open minds, that you would speak to us. God, for those that need to be encouraged, I pray that you would encourage. Lord, I pray for those that need to be strengthened. I pray that you would give strength Lord, I pray for those of us that need to be challenged with where we're at in our faith. God, that you would um, come up close and challenge us and help us to respond in faith and obedience today. And so, God, I pray that you would do your thing in here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So James chapter 1, I want to jump right in to James chapter 1, verse number 1, to kind of set the context. James 1.1 1, 1 says this, James, who's the writer here, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, He's writing to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, and he says, greetings. So here's a question you may have. How did we get from last week, the book of Acts, which is, you know, towards the beginning of the New Testament, all of a sudden we're like towards the end of the New Testament in the book of James, because this year we've been kind of walking through methodically through the Old Testament, the New Testament. How did we have this like jump into the book of Acts or from the book of Acts to the book of James? Well, so this James that is writing this letter here, uh, you know, if you're familiar with the, the, the disciples of Jesus, the 12 disciples, two of them went by the name of James. This James is a different James, all right? This is the half-brother of Jesus who is writing here. And, and what you see in the New Testament is James, the half-brother of Jesus, like the rest of Jesus' family, his brothers, didn't actually believe that he was the Christ or the Messiah until after his death and resurrection. Right? And that kind of makes sense because if you grew up with a sibling who grew up saying, hey, I'm the Messiah, <laughs> you know, you were like, whatever, right, sure, okay. And this was James growing up with Jesus as a half-brother, and, and yet once he appeared from the dead, his post-resurrection appearance, like James believed. And what we see in the book of Acts, in fact, as you come to Acts chapter 15, is that that James became a leader in the church. He was a leader in the church in Jerusalem. And so this is how we're making this transition from the book of Acts to James. James here is writing this letter and he's writing, he says, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. In other words, he's writing to Jewish Christians that are scattered all throughout Israel. And yet he uses throughout this book the word brothers, which means brothers and sisters in Christ. So he's writing to followers of Jesus. So what we see in the book of James and what we see this morning applies to every single one of us who would call ourselves a follower of Christ. So what I'm going to do this morning is, is I've got three points. You all knew that was coming, right? But here we go. Uh, we're going to use what I call a catechism format. So if you've ever heard that word, maybe you've been, heard that in the... Catholic Church, and it's kind of a religious word. Catechism really just means it's a, a question and answer style of learning. All right, so I have three questions and three answers for you. It's really James's uh, catechism on trials, how to deal with trials in life. So here's question and answer number one. What is our perspective when trials come? 
What is our perspective when trials come? James gives us an answer, which wouldn't be our normal and natural answer, but here's what he says our perspective ought to be when trials enter our life. Joy. Joy. And so I want to read verse number three here. Actually, verse number two, James says this. He says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Now, we already saw this. This is the memory verse of the week, but he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And we'll come back to this thing of joy, but I want to start with what he says here. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. In other words, he says, when, not if, right? Trials are a normal part of life. They're a regular part of life that we cannot escape. They're inevitable that we are going to go through difficult things in our life. And so he says, when you meet trials, and he, he says trials of various kinds. All right, so think about all the various kinds of trials that we experience in our lives. There are physical trials. Some of you, you may deal with chronic pain or disease or cancer or just your body getting older and breaking down. There are trials that we face that are physical in nature. And then there are uh, social or relational trials that we deal with. Maybe it's a breakdown of a relationship, an estrangement of a child or uh, a, a friend. Um, sometimes it's, it's tension uh, bitterness that exists in a relationship that creates this, this trial in a relationship. Then, then there's circumstantial trials that we deal with. Maybe you get let go uh, from your job, or maybe it's a financial pressure. Um, there's all kinds of, of various kinds of trials that we deal with. And yet what James says here is that when you meet various kinds of trials, what is your perspective? Like, think about how you deal with trials. Like, for me, there's, there's a multitude of ways. Sometimes I face a trial with despair or defeat. Like, I think there's no way I'm going to get through this, and there's no way I'm going to get around this. There's no way this is going to end well, right? Sometimes I come into a trial, and I'm angry. I'm just mad, or I'm frustrated, or I'm confused. Sometimes some trials bring a sadness, and, and, and I'm not saying any of these things are wrong, but what James points us to is he says, here is a, a perspective that I want to encourage you to have. He says, count it all joy. Count it all joy, which is really to totally counterintuitive to how we typically approach trials. He says, count it all joy. That word joy, and when we talk about this a lot in the church, because I, I believe that real followers of Jesus, true followers of Jesus exhibit this joy. It is this deep, abiding, rooted satisfaction in the person of Christ, the, the person of, of Jesus that's not dependent on our circumstances. Paul says it this way in Philippians 3, verse number 1. He says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Have joy in the Lord. And now, if you notice, this isn't like a suggestion or an opinion. This is an imperative. It's a command. He says, rejoice in the Lord. If you are a brother or sister in Christ, you are called to rejoice in the Lord. All right, whether your circumstances warrant it or not. He says, rejoice in the Lord. 
we can always find joy in the person of the Lord, regardless of our circumstances. In fact, here's how he says it. He says, count it all joy. You know, y'all know what that word count means? It means to consider it to be so. Consider it to be so. In other words, whether you feel like it, whether your circumstances seem to be that way, he says, this is what is true. You can count it all joy. You consider this to be joy. Why? Because of what you are going to experience on the other side of this. Count it all joy. It requires this conscious commitment to view it differently than our natural inclination. This doesn't mean enjoy the pain, enjoy the trial, like we're some kind of like spiritual masochist. Like, come on, God, bring it on. I enjoy pain, inflict pain. No, it, he, he doesn't say feel pain. He says count, count it all joy. Count it all joy. He doesn't say feel joy. Count it all joy. Rather, you can find joy in what will, it will produce in you. In other words, what you are going through doesn't have to be fruitless. It can, be, it can actually be fruitful. It can produce something in you. So if you're in a trial right now, and you know, kind of like Andrew said earlier, when I think about trials, I hate talking about trials. And yet we need to talk about trials all the time, right? Because we're either, we're either coming out of one, we're currently in one, or we're getting ready to go into one. It is inevitable. But here's a question to ask yourself when you're dealing with a trial. If I can endure this situation, like if I can get through this thing that I'm stuck in, what will it do in me on the other side of this? What can be true of me? What, what does God want to do in me that I can come out of this and have learned and experienced? And how can I have grown in this? And you know what? Jesus is the perfect example of how to endure trial, how to endure pain. Hebrews 12, it says it this way. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, speaking to the church, let us lay aside every weight and every sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. What the writer is doing here is, is, he, is he is comparing our life to this race that requires endurance. It, it, it's like a marathon. It's not a sprint. And he says, if you're going to run this race, you've got to have endurance. And he points to Jesus, verse number two, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So Jesus endured the cross not because he enjoyed the pain that was inflicted upon him, but because he, he saw joy on the other side of that pain. You know what that joy was for Jesus? The joy was, if I'm obedient to my father, this will please him. And not because it pleases him to bruise me, but because it's through this sacrifice, this perfect sacrifice that everyone who believes in me will get to go free. He, the joy for him was that he would please his father and that he would save you and that he would save me. And that is what caused him to endure. It was for the joy that was set before him. And 
So, you know, another example that I, I always think of, of childbirth when it comes to this, because no woman that I've ever heard of or know of enjoys the process of childbirth. That's what they call it labor for a reason, right? Um, Jake and Corey Garrett um, just this week celebrated uh, the one-year birthday of their baby boy Thaddeus, and they're also expecting baby boy number two, which is uh, incredible. But, you know, I, don't, I haven't asked Corey this, but, uh, or Jamie uh, Pringle, who's due soon. Um, I haven't asked them this, but I don't think for the next few months, six, seven, eight, nine months, like they're going to be looking forward to like, man, I can't wait to go through childbirth, right? I can't wait until I go into labor. I can't wait till my water breaks and all that stuff. No, what they're looking forward to is the joy that's on the other side of that, right? The child, and that is what will cause them to endure all of the stuff, right? And this is true in our lives. And, and you, you know that your faith has grown when you can go through or face trials with greater joy than grief. When you can face it with greater joy than anger. If you can go through a trial and go, man, a year ago, two years ago, I don't know how I would have dealt with this. But now my perspective is different. You, you know you, can, you have grown spiritually and grown stronger when you can count it all joy. You know there is something that God is doing in you. Now, that's a hard perspective to have. That is counterintuitive. It's, it's kind of like it, the ways of the kingdom. Love your enemies. Now, that doesn't come naturally in me. But this is the way of the kingdom. When I face trials, man, I'm mad, I'm angry, I'm frustrated, I'm confused, I'm hurt. Natural. What's not natural, but is the way of the kingdom. I mean, can I count it all joy? Do I, can I trust that God is doing something, that this whole experience, this whole trial is not for nothing, that he is producing something in me? And so question number one is this. What is our perspective when trials come? James points us to this, joy. But closely related here, kind of flowing right off the heels of that, question number two, what do trials produce in us? And what James says here is he says it produces steadfastness, steadfastness. So look at verses three and four. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various uh, trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. What do trials produce in us? He says the answer is steadfastness. He, he doesn't say the answer is or what trials produce is faith. Trials don't produce faith. Trials reveal faith. This is why it calls it testing. So when you go through a trial, whatever was inside of you just comes out. It tests whatever is in you. Now, your faith can grow and your Faith can be strengthened going through trials, but faith doesn't come from trials. Romans 10, 17 says this, that faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of what? The word of Christ. The way that we grow, the way that we, 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 we get faith, 
The way that faith is produced is through hearing the word of Christ. And so if you wonder why for 39 weeks I keep promoting this Bible reading plan, again, it's not so that we can check off boxes, not so that you'll be faithful for 52 weeks of reading. You could start right now, week 39, and for the next 12, 13 weeks, finish this year and read uh, right where we're at to the end, and it will be successful. Because the goal is this, it is to hear the word of Christ. Because in hearing his word, he will grow our faith. What do trials produce in us? It doesn't produce faith. It reveals faith. What he says is it produces steadfastness. That word steadfastness, it means endurance. It means perseverance. Let me give you a couple other kind of definitions or thoughts to help, uh, help you figure this out. Steadfastness is to persist in something despite difficulty or discouragement. To persist in something despite difficulty or discouragement. Here's another kind of word picture that I like. To withstand or hold up under pressure. So I just think about this like huge weight that is upon me and it's like I'm, I'm bearing the weight of this pressure. Like y'all remember, maybe, you, it's, maybe you've done this before, maybe it's been years since you've done it. Anybody, anybody ever done wall sits where you do kind of the imaginary, you know, sitting against the wall till the old quads start burning. You're like, I can do it. I can t- keep going, keep going, don't quit. And they're just burning, burning, burning. You're persevering. You're, there's steadfastness and endurance involved in that. You're, you're withstanding or holding up under pressure. So let me tell you a story about three months ago, 12 or 13 weeks ago, uh, I started running. I just decided, I've toyed around with it over the years and I just decided I'm just gonna become a runner. So my goal is November 6th. Uh, I will not be here on that morning. I'll be running God willing, uh, by God's grace, a half marathon in Hilton Head. Um, and so I've been kind of training for that. Uh, I've always, since I was young, I love, to, I love to run fast. I love speed and sprints. But this distance stuff, man, that stuff's for the birds, y'all. I'm like, um, but I'm, I've just decided, I'm like, I'm just going to run. I'm going to run. I'm going to run. And so actually, I remember, um, I didn't get permission for this story. Uh, I talked to Jay Sermon the first time I met him in January of 2021. I remember sitting down and talking to Jay, and he was telling me, Jay and Brittany have done all kinds of runs and marathons and races and ultra marathons and all this stuff that I, I didn't... God really create people to do this kind of stuff? It's just like blowing me away. But I remember something that Jay told me, you know, talking about these 50, 100-mile runs, and I'm like, what? He, he talked about this idea of endurance and perseverance and how, like, it's this mental game where if I can endure this, if I can persevere through this, like, it translates and it correlates to, like, everything else in my life. If I can endure, like, mile after mile after mile, and if I can play this mental game and endure, man, I can endure anything in my life. And so I've, as I've started running, I, like, I keep coming back to that, and I remember that. And I actually have, like, a confession this morning. I, like, uh, running has caused me, my, my prayer life to increase. <laughs> so I pray a lot as I, I run. Like, every single mile, I'm, like, praying, like, God, first, thank you for that mile number one. Would you get me through to mile two? And so like I'm praying. I literally pray like, like, Lord, would you strengthen me, mind and body? And I I start with my mind. I'm like, God, would you like help me to endure? Help me to persevere through this mile because I'm going to want to quit. I'm going to give up. Would you help me to endure? And then I like literally pray like through every physical part, you know, like 
strengthen my quads and my hamstrings and, you know, my calves and all this stuff. Like, I'm literally pr- praying through the whole thing. And uh, actually, this yesterday, so yesterday I ran uh, 11 miles, and uh, I, I, I added something to my prayer repertoire. I added the phrase, count it all joy. And so, like, I'm thanking Lord. I'm saying, count it all joy, count it all joy, count it all joy. And uh, for the record, it didn't help a single bit, all right? Um, it, I've run longer than that, but... Uh, that was the most challenging, like slowest pace I've ever run. And I think it's just because God was like, count it all joy. I'm, I've got a lesson for you in this. Uh, actually, here, here's another freebie for you. Uh, I, I so badly wanted to give up. Um, but when I run these long runs, I listen to sermons uh, because the preacher needs some preaching. And so uh, I, I get to listen to sermons when I run. And I so badly wanted to give up about like mile six, seven, eight. And I stuck with it. And probably around mile nine, ten, there was a word for me in that sermon that like kind of got me emotional. And I was like, God, you, you, you helped me to persevere because I needed that. You know what I'm saying? Um, and it was just a cool little reminder that God was like, man, if you just don't quit, stay the course. Don't quit, stay the course. I have something for you. If you'll hang in there, if you will let me give you the strength to hang with me, I'm going to do something. I'm going to produce something in you. I'm going to produce steadfastness. And he says in verse number three, he says it this way. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. You know, you know that this is a test of your faith. Every trial that you go into, sometimes we go, what is this all about? He says, you know, you can know this. This is a test of your faith. Whether it's physical, relational, circumstantial, they all challenge your faith you know this is a test of your faith and you can know that this will produce steadfastness in you. It'll produce this perseverance and endurance in you if you will not give up, if you will not quit. And he says this, verse number four, he says, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. In other words, when it's talked about being perfect and complete in the Bible, what it's talking about is like it's going to produce spiritual maturity in you. If you will be steadfast, if you will endure and persevere, if you will let steadfastness have its full effect, it will lead to spiritual maturity in your life. If you will let it, if you will let it run its course. I think about like a cold. When you get a cold sometimes and like you may do the, I don't know, chicken noodle soup or whatever and you like rest and you uh, are a baby for a week or whatever. Like you just kind of got to let it run its course, right? There's not a lot you can do. You just have to let it get out of your system. And it's the same idea when, when trials come. He says, man, like be steadfast. It's producing steadfast, steadfastness in you if you will just let it have its way in you. Just let it run its course. I love the King James translation says it this way. Let patience have her perfect work. Like let it work itself out in you and it will lead to spiritual maturity. So let it, let it do its thing in you. Don't fight it. Let it finish what it started. Let it come to full bloom. Because if you do, it will develop in you this deeper communion with Christ. You'll lean on him more and it will create in you this greater trust in Christ if you will let it produce what he wants to produce in you through it. Let patience have her perfect work. Let me say it this way. Faith that doesn't get tested 
doesn't grow strong. Faith that doesn't get tested doesn't grow strong. And I I think about that again in terms of like physical exercise and work. Like when I'm working out or when I'm running, if I don't hit a point where I'm like saying like to myself, like keep going, don't give up. Man, I'm not working hard enough. I'm not pushing myself hard enough. I'm not getting stronger and better unless I'm at this point of wanting to quit. It's the same thing with our faith. Faith that doesn't get tested doesn't grow stronger. But here's the truth. You can't short circuit the process. You can't shortcut the process. What happens is that we always want to get out of the trial and yet God is trying to put something into us in the midst of the trial. He's trying to produce something in you that isn't going to be produced any other way unless you walk with him through the difficulty. Unless you walk with him through the the valley. I had this conversation this week. I sat down across the table from a gentleman and we were just kind of rehashing the last few years. My family and I have been here at Friendship and in Kershaw County for over three years now. And, and if you've been around for any length of time, a lot of you are newer to our, our church, but man, a lot of stuff has happened in our church over three years. Uh, eight or nine months in was COVID and then, you know, presidential you know, election season and then the aftermath of COVID and just all kinds of stuff. And I'm a new pastor in, in this church. And so like a lot of stuff has happened. A lot of hard stuff has happened personally for me. And, and this, this guy sat across from me and he asked me a question. He said, if, if you could go back, if you knew before you came here that XYZ was gonna happen, would you have still come? I didn't know how to answer him. I didn't give him an answer. But you know what my answer was after thinking about it for a little bit of time? I don't think I would have come. I don't think I would have voluntarily stepped into all the stuff that I've had to go through for the last three years. But you know what? I wouldn't trade where I'm at, where this church is at, for anything. I'm so grateful for where... The Lord has me and where the Lord has our church. But I think this is a mercy of God that he doesn't let us see what's coming. He says, are you going to trust me? Are you going to walk with me through this? Because most of the time we would go, I've got to go through that. Mm -mm, I'm out. It is not worth it. And yet here we come to the other side of it and we go, the joy that I get to experience now is absolutely worth it. God, thank you for covering my eyes from what was going to happen. Thank you, Lord, for the endurance to make it through all that, because now I get to enjoy the, enjoy the joy of all that you have for me and for this church. What do trials produce in us? Steadfastness. Steadfastness, which leads us to spiritual maturity. So question number three, here it is. What does God provide us with in our trials? James says he provides us with wisdom. He provides us with wisdom. I want to jump into verses five through eight. He says this, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So, what does the Lord provide us with in our wisdom? He says, or in our trials, he says, wisdom. 
So when you and I, when we come into a trial, think of all the things that, that we need. Man, I, when I go into a trial, I need strength and God, I need grace and I need help. And like we've talked about, I need perspective. I need your perspective on this. We also need wisdom from God. We need wisdom from God. When I think of like a simple definition of wisdom, it's like, what do I do and how do I do it? What do I do and how, God, how do I navigate this circumstance in my life? God, I need your wisdom. John MacArthur says it this way, speaking of wisdom here in James 1, he says, James, James's Jewish audience recognized this as the understanding and practical skill that was necessary to live life to God's glory. It was not a wisdom of philosophical speculation, but the wisdom contained in the pure and peaceable absolutes of God's will revealed in his word and lived out. Only such divine wisdom enables believers to be joyous and submissive in the trials of life. In other words, the wisdom that, that James is talking about here is wisdom to know how to live life and how to navigate our trial to the glory of God. And he says, this is, is wisdom. And, and, and let me say this about whatever trial you're going through, is that every trial is a unique situation that requires unique wisdom from God. Every situation you face, you may be able to find someone who can relate to you because they've gone through something similar, but your story and your situation is unique. You're, all the variables of your story and your background and all the things, like you are in a unique situation. Every trial is a unique situation that requires unique wisdom from God. And what I love about this is that he says, if, if you lack wisdom, ask of God, and he'll give it to you. If, if, if any of you lacks wisdom, have you ever asked yourself the question, or maybe wondered in your head, like, am I a wise person? Like, do I have wisdom? If people looked at me, would they, would they say wisdom is a characteristic of me? Here's, here's a way, here's a little test to know if, if you are, in fact, actually wise or not. Do you recognize in your life your lack of wisdom? Do you reckon, I know that sounds like weird and contradictory, because if you recognize your lack of wisdom, that shows wisdom on your part. If you are someone who would say like, I don't need wisdom in this. I know I've got this. I don't need wisdom. That in fact reveals that you do need wisdom, right? And those that are older in the room, the older you get, the more you recognize, the, the less you know, right? The, the more you recognize your need for wisdom. But he says this, if you need wisdom, if you lack wisdom, which is every single one of us, he says, if you lack wisdom, ask of God. Simply ask, but ask in faith. Ask in faith. His wisdom is available. It's in, available in generous supply to you. It's not like he's trying to like ration out his wisdom like there's only like so much to go around. Like he is, he is wisdom personified and he has all of this available to you if you would simply ask for it. And I just want to mention back in week number 19, I think, May 8th, we had a sermon called How to Be the Wisest Person in the World. It was based on Solomon. Um, and so if you want to go back and check that out, um, it's, it is online. It's in our, there's a link to it in our uh, digital bulletin and sermon notes. But wisdom is, is something that we need and it's available to us. 
All we have to do is ask in, in, in faith. And what he means here, he talks about like not doubting. Listen, it's, it's normal and natural to doubt in our faith. What he's talking about specifically here is don't doubt that God is wise. Don't doubt that he is good, that he wants to supply you with the wisdom that you need. Don't doubt, have confidence. Be confident that he will give you what you need because if you doubt his provision, what that does is it leaves you unstable and unsettled in your life. So ask in faith, believing that he's wise, that he's good and gracious and that he wants to give you his wisdom. And so I just want to kind of, as we get ready to, to, to wind down and close here, I just want to share with you a little tool um, this week called Circles of Sovereignty. And this is from a guy, a counselor, pastor, preacher named Paul Tripp that I love, uh, Circles of Sovereignty. And so I just, this is a little tool to help you uh, frame the things that you deal with in your life in their proper place. All right, so Circles of, of Sovereignty. The inner circle is what we would call the circle of responsibility. The circle of responsibility and what Paul Tripp says about this circle, this, this represents things that God has called you to do that you cannot give to anyone else. These are your daily God-ordained duties. And the only proper response to this inner circle is to carefully and faithfully obey, trusting God for the empowering grace to do so. So every single one of us have certain things, certain responsibility that God has called us to do, things that we control, um, how we walk with him, how we treat others. Uh, you know, as a husband, I'm called to love my wife. And so that's a responsibility that only I can fulfill and I can control that. And, and there's, there's different responsibilities that we have control of. But then there's this outer circle that we call the circle of concern. The circle of concern. And these are other things in life that grab our attention. They capture our mind. They weigh heavy on our hearts. But they are not our responsibility. Or do we even have the ability to change or control? So the only proper way to respond to these concerns is to entrust them to our Lord who governs them all for his glory and our ultimate good. All right, so when you think about your life and the circumstances you go through, there are certain things that you control that God has called you to be responsible for. But where we, where we get into trouble in our lives is when we, when we put the things that are in the circle of concern, things that we cannot control, things that we don't have the ability to change, that only a sovereign God controls. When we take those circumstances that belong in the circle of concern and we place them into the circle of responsibility as if we can change them, as if we are responsible uh, to cause an outcome that we can't control. Do you, are you understanding that? What happens is that when we try to take things that belong in the circle of concern and we try to put them in the circle of responsibility is that we become really anxious, we become fearful, we become controlling of, of people and circumstances. And those are things that, man, we are, we are to put in the circle of concern, just entrusting them to this God who is producing something through this circumstance. And I just bring this up because I don't, I don't know, for some of you, this may be a helpful way to frame whatever trial you're going through. Because sometimes we think, I've got to control this. I've got to dictate this. Mm. Here's what you can control. Your perspective. Count it all joy. 
let, let steadfastness have its full effect in your life. Let God do what he wants to do through the circumstance. And so let me review these three questions and answers. What is our perspective when trials come? James calls us to joy. Count it all joy. What do trials produce in us? They ought to produce steadfastness, this ability to endure, to persevere, which leads to spiritual maturity in our lives. Some of us, the reason we're still weak and young in our faith is because we try to get out of every trial that comes our way rather than letting it do its work in us. What do trials produce? Steadfastness. What does God provide us with in our trials? Wisdom. Y'all, if you're going through a trial right now, here's what, I'm, here's what James is asking you to do. Cry out to God for wisdom. God, help me to know how to walk through this. Help me to know what to do. I need your help. I need your wisdom to get through this and to learn everything that it is you want me to learn, to become the person that you want me to become. What does God provide us with in all of our trials? He provides us with wisdom. And you know what? A lot has changed over the course of centuries since the letter of James was written, since the book of Acts took place. A lot has changed since that first century when God was establishing and growing his church. Here's one thing that hasn't changed, is that every follower of Jesus who lives a life that is fully devoted to him will still face trials. Some will be minor, some will be extremely difficult. Some will, some may be because of your faith, some may have nothing to do with your faith whatsoever. But every single one will reveal your faith. It'll test your faith. It'll challenge your faith. You know, how we handle trials is important. It not only affects our lives, it affects the lives of people around us. It ultimately affects the kingdom of of God. It affects, if you are a child of God, it affects the work of the Lord, which is getting the gospel to the ends of the earth, to everyone who needs it near and far. We can get so caught up in our trials that we forget what God has us here for. And this is why I believe Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, this chapter that's all about the, the gospel, the the resurrection of Christ, which gives us life and hope and victory. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 15, 57, and 58. He says, but thanks be to our God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, because he has already given us the victory, beloved brothers, he says, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. He says you can be steadfast, you can be immovable, always like continuing in the work of the Lord. Like not because you're strong, not because, man, you're so steadfast, but he produces something in you because we have victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And so I want to encourage you today, if you're in the midst of a trial, man, look to Jesus to produce something in you and through you as more glorious than you could ever imagine. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray and let's continue to worship this gracious God of ours. Lord, thank you for your goodness and your grace and your mercy. God, that we can walk 
with you through our trials, that we are not alone, that you provide uh, wisdom beyond what we possess to help us to know how to navigate the stuff that comes our way. God, you want to produce steadfastness in us. Your desire is that we would become more and more like Christ. And so, Lord, help us to, to realize what you're producing in us, even when we can't understand it, can't see it. And Lord, help us to count it all joy. Lord, when we don't feel it, when we won't see it, God, would you help us to consider it to be so that joy is on the other side. And so God, give us the, the endurance and the steadfastness that we need so you could produce in us and through us what it is that you want to produce. And so Lord, we submit ourselves to you this morning in Jesus' name.